This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. There's no escape. I can't wait. I need a hit. give me Welcome to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. First, it was sourdough bread and baking. Then we moved on to TikTok dances. And now Wordle has arrived, and it seems like everyone is playing it. Five-letter words are what all the cool kids are doing right now. So here are five five-letter words I hope that fill your week ahead. To dance, dream, learn, relax, and sleep. And with that, let's jump into this week's show. First up, the Honorable Jean Augustine joins me to share details from her appearance this week at the Canadian Congress on Inclusive Diversity and Workplace Equity, and with information about the Jean Augustine Centre for Young Women's Empowerment. Rishma Govani is passionate about creating real positive change, especially in areas of diversity, equity, and inclusion. She joins me to share the inspiration for her children's book, Sushi and Samosas, a trip of tasty transformations that helps kids break down barriers by the spoon and learn more about the world around them. Things in entertainment are looking up with The Gilded Age from Downton Abbey's Julian Fellows premiering on HBO. With Christine Baranski and Cynthia Nixon in lead roles, this series doesn't pull any punches and it's definitely not a Downton Abbey light. Also up this week is Jodie Comer in BritBox's Help and Fraggle Rock, which brings much-needed joy to kids of all ages. Lisa Baker is a transplanted Newfoundlander living in Alberta who brings her razor-sharp sense of humor to Canadians on tour and through her popular TikTok channel. Lisa joins me to share some challenges she's faced as a woman in a still largely male-dominated space and with some advice for all of us when the going gets tough. Pandemic stress has caused a surge in eating disorders, particularly amongst adolescents and teens. Leanne Philipson is a registered nutritionist, best-selling author, podcast and radio host, and the mother of a teen who was diagnosed with an eating disorder this year. Leanne joins me with some advice for parents going through this with their own children right now. Finally, we are all feeling the pinch at the grocery checkout. This doesn't mean we have to let go of healthy choices, though. Denise Lalonde is a registered holistic nutritionist, and she joins me with some tips so you can keep eating healthy on a budget. It's another full week at What She Said with interviews that empower, educate, and entertain. So let's jump in right now on 105.9 The Region. The Canadian Congress on Inclusive Diversity and Workplace Equity launched a national campaign this week to empower people and organizations to dismantle colonialism in their policies, systems, and culture, starting with a two-day virtual program called Dismantling Colonialism, Building Cohesiveness. One of the speakers in attendance was the Honourable Jean Augustine, the first Black woman member of the Parliament of Canada, a Grenadian-Canadian educational administrator, an advocate for social justice, and politician. Jean joins me now to share details on her speech at this event and about the Jean Augustine Centre for Young Women's Empowerment, a message that is right up what she said's alley. Welcome back to the show, Jean. Thank you so much, Ken. It's good to see you again. It's a pleasure to have you here. You are tireless. You never, ever stop. Uh, I do want to hear 
about what you spoke about at this conference, though. So can you tell us about your speech, please? Well, I think it's important to look at the theme of, um, of the two-day event. And I, will, I focus more or less on the issue of colonialism, because I can say that I am a child or I'm a daughter of uh, the colonial experience. Um, I was born in 1937. Grenada did not get its independence till, uh, you know, away from uh, the uh, colonial powers that send them governors and, and, um, and chiefs of police and, uh, and commandeered the, uh, the education system, et cetera, until, you know, late into the, uh, into the 60s. And so I was raised, I grew up on the milk of uh, the colonial, colonial experiences. And so I shared some of that. So these conversations are happening, thankfully, more and more. Why is it so important that we keep pushing ahead with this? I mean, I think most of us know why, but let's just talk about it. What does it mean when we, when we make these changes? Well, I think um, I talk a lot about an image of um, that's a kind of West African image of a bird called the Sankofa. And the Sankofa is a bird with its neck pointing back. And uh, the Sankofa reaches back. The Sankofa comes forward with whatever it takes from the back, examines in the present, and then plots the way to wherever it's going to go, plots the way to the future. And so when we talk about the Sankofa experience, and we want to move forward as a society, as a culture, where diversity is... uh, and uh, inclusion, really acknowledging that diversity. I think it's so important for us to do that Sankofa experience. What was it back there? From whence we've come, what were the experiences that shaped us in this present? And why it's so important for us to know what those experiences were, are, and how those experiences color and uh, form um, almost layers of, um, of things that we need to overcome if we are to go forward. I want to shift the focus a little bit to your uh, Center for uh, Women's Empowerment, Young Women's Empowerment. This is phenomenal. So tell me more about how this got started, where it is, how people can get involved. As a young woman growing up in, in Happy Hills in George's Grenada, in a family that, uh, that I could remember all the matriarchs. There were men there, but I remember the women were the ones who were really the culture givers, the, the caregivers, um, the, uh, the ones that you went to for comfort, the ones whose words were motivating and, uh, and who spent so much time with young people talking about education and moving us forward. And I see my experience and the experiences that I had from being in this very feminist, and I'm using the word feminist because these women not, never thought about themselves as feminists. Actually, I'm not too sure that uh, that was any language that would have been used. And so my own life's work in the education system, uh, in organizations like the Congress of Black Women of Canada, looking at the situation of all people in uh, this Canadian setting, uh, the issue around homelessness, the issue around violence against women, and all of those issues. And as one look at, you know, all the determinants of health and, and the, the, the things that we talk about, we realize that it is important to start very young, to motivate, to empower, and to have young people understand their place in the society. And so I always wanted, as an educator, as a school teacher, as a school principal, always very much concerned with the education of girls. And so when the opportunity came, after I got out of politics and uh, looking, not looking for, but saying, I need to do something about this. And what do you do? You find others, you find allies, and you say, let's do something in the Etobicoke um, lakeshore area where I was familiar, the area I represented, we got the girls and we have a number. We started with simple soft skills. We started with the cooking and sewing and homework help and um, help um, giving them the opportunity to experience entrepreneurial and other kinds of activities, art, 
um, and uh, cultural uh, things. And then we move on. And uh, as the years went by and our programs became stronger and we, we had support for things, we went on to do things like STEM programs. And we look to women in the community who have talents and skills and have had a career path to come in and talk to the young girls and motivate them and get them interested. And we now have gone as far as um, working with um, sports teams to, again, say to girls, you can play this, you can be there. And of course, things are changing the society. We have now, you know, team um, baseball, women playing baseball, women's uh, teams going to the Olympics and, and whatnot. So it's a very stimulating, very motivating, very empowering time for young girls. And so the center started with, we started with, with 60 or something girls. We now, through the issue, um, the fact that we have gone um, virtual because of the pandemic, we now have thousands of girls who get onto the site who participate in our programs and we have excellent instructors who, who motivate them and give them the opportunity to learn and to experience. And so the center is girl-centered. We work with um, university um, uh, and educators to do the documentation, to see um, when they first come in, where they are in year three, where they are in year four, to, to evaluate. We have, uh, done all the work with an 11-member board. We have a charitable number, and we're looking to the community for the support that we need at this specific point in time. Donate, donate, donate. Support a girl. Support a program. Support what we're doing. Help us to get all of the, the necessary methodologies and other things that we must have as we do this work. And uh, we find that it is now... Uh, we are at the point now where we're finding the collaborators and we're finding the partners and we're enabling the young women to see themselves as very much um, members of, um, of the community, members of the society with full potential. We're moving them from the margins into the circle and we're saying, you can do this, you can be like her, you can be there. And at the same time, doing what my grandmother used to say to me, uh, you have to do your homework. You have to study because nothing comes easily. Well, this is all messaging I can get behind. Um, I feel like I should just let you take over the entire show this week and just run with it. Uh, you're speaking my love language, uh, empowering women and girls uh, in this world. So People, obviously, they can go to uh, the Canadian Congress on Diversity.ca uh, to find materials about your speech and others who were at this week's conference. And to find out more about your center, where can they go? Well, they can. Um, we are on all the social media um, uh, streams, uh, you know, whether it is Facebook or Instagram or um, we have um, all kinds of uh, messaging and messages and, uh, and partnerships so there that's also speaking about our work. But I think if they go to the Gene Augustine Center, um, .ca, that they'll find information there. And also with the work that the Congress is doing and our collaboration with them, they can either get, uh, reach us uh, through that link also. And I just want to point out to my listeners before we say goodbye that you're also pretty active over on the Gram uh, at on G on Jean Augustine. So make sure that uh, you're following uh, Honorable Jean Augustine over on Instagram. Uh, Jean, thank you so much for joining me today. It's always a delight to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Candice. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region.
one of the best ways to create global awareness is through the love of food. My next guest is a seasoned communications professional with over 20 years of experience in the media industry. She is passionate about creating real positive change, especially in areas of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Rishma Govani is the author of the kids' book, Sushi and Samosas, A Trip of Tasty Transformations. She joins me now to share more about her motivation for writing this children's book. Welcome to the show, Rishma. Thanks for having me, Candice. So I, what was the motivation for writing this book? Was there a moment that sparked you and said, I have to write this? It was a series of many, many moments. I used to um, host a dinner club. It was a pretty successful dinner club in Toronto. It was called the Toronto Food Luck Club. And its mission was to try a different restaurant every month. And that existed for almost 15 years and it got a little bit of media attention. And so it was started with just friends and family and then expanded to, you know, just and just people I didn't know, strangers who then later became friends. And together we would explore the different cuisines across the GTA, all the hidden gems. And so the book was um, marinating. It was written almost a decade ago, actually, and was just shelved for different reasons. But really, that was the catalyst and the inspiration for writing the book. And then once uh, my husband and I had our kids, we realized they were really picky. Uh, All they wanted to eat was chicken nuggets and fries. And so do the characters in the book, Sushi and Samosa. So that's really where the inspiration came. We slowed down the dinner club once the kids were uh, born, once my first was born. Um, evenings were diff- really difficult, but we wanted to continue in that same spirit of trying new things with him. And so the club may have slowed down, but its mission to um, think global and act local, act local, sorry, uh, still permanent. I love that you say diversity is a bite away. Uh, I think that is brilliant because it truly is sort of food is the great uniter, isn't it? Food's a great uniter. It can really bring us as uh, communities and neighbors and uh, people together. Music's another one. Literature's another one. Movies is another one that really um, unites us. And I think that, you know, it's a great way to get to know each other. It's a safe, non-threatening way to get to know each other and have you know, little water cooler chats with your colleagues and with your neighbors. When you're walking the dog, you can talk about the different noodles that are out there and which ones are good and which ones are not. And it just takes you one step closer to, uh, you know, your neighbor and getting to know them if they come from a different um, ethnic background than yourself. Not everyone has the luxury of traveling. Not everyone can just hop on a plane. And even when they do, sometimes they just stick to resorts and things that are comfortable. So yes, it's one bite away. Maybe two or three really give it a chance um, to really digest the flavor and really uh, get your palate used to that type of food. Um, And the world is yours. So did your kids, you you mentioned your kids were picky eaters. When you started to introduce them to all these different foods, did did they become more... um, open-minded when it came to food or did they find versions of that kids in different cultures might parents might say were picky uh different versions of foods around the world my kids have embraced certain foods um my son still has an aversion to avocados and guacamole we traumatized him at a mexican place when he was really young i'm hoping it goes (laughs) away because he's really missing out also in a very like social tradition around nachos and guac and that seems to be a very popular thing like even when you're in university so I'm really hoping that he is able to um, allow guacamole back in his life I think they're still picky about certain things so am I I'm risk averse too it's not like I am just this open book of trying everything I still have hesitation but they do try our deal in our family is to try if you don't like it that's okay I'm okay with that I'm okay If you took a few bites, you really don't like it, I can accept that. The whole point of the book and getting to know each other in an actionable way, in a tangible way, because we know racism is wrong and we can talk about that till the cows come home. But really what we're trying to do is action that. 
and make it tangible. That's where change starts. That's where progress is made. So taking that bite is really important. So yes and no. I think they're very, very open to many things. Like my husband and I actually got misty-eyed when my kids embraced sushi. When they took that cucumber roll, which was their first roll, and now they do different kinds of things, and I hope they continue continue to explore different sushi as I do, because I was also really hesitant in the beginning and would only stick to a few like spicy tuna. And now I've expanded that. We cried. Like we were so excited. We were like parenting goals. Like we were able to like get them to like sushi. So I think they like a lot of things and there's probably stuff they don't like as well. Just like all of us, I love that you are bringing together uh, conversations around food and culture, diversity. Uh, You're available for virtual readings at kids' schools. Uh, So if people are listening uh, and they they want you to be in their child's class, they can connect with you. But where else can they find your book and find you? So the best way to find out more about Sushi and Samosas is if you have an Instagram account, go to Sushi and Samosas. Um, if you do a simple Google search, you'll see all the different online, um, retailers that are carrying the book in the U S it's available at Target and Walmart and Barnes and Noble, Amazon, it's available, uh, internationally in Canada, it's available online also at Indigo and chapters and, uh, a lot of like brick and mortar stores and local stores. So if there's any listeners that also want that, there's one in particular in York region called bookworms that has the book. Um, so yeah, do a Google search. It's Rishma Govani. That's my name, the author and sushi and samosas is the title of the book. All right. Thanks so much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure having you here, Rishma. Thank you. And try something new today. Joining me now for Saturday Night at the Movies is Anne Brody. Anne, I have to tell you, I am so excited to see Christine Baranski back on the screen. I love her. Yes, she plays an old money heiress in New York, uh, circa 1830s. Um, in the Gilded Age on Crave on January 24th. So you don't have much of a wait. So she and Cynthia Nixon, her sisters, they live a very uh, sheltered life, very class conscious. Um, and everything is turned upside down when across the road from them moves in these new money people, railway billionaires, the Russells. And of course, these Russells, there's sort of a microcosm of the idea of the ugly American, wherein, whereas uh, aggression is what you do to get what you want, you know. It's upsetting. It's nothing like Julian follows Downton Abbey. It's not comfy, cozy, lived in, and supportive, and all of that. It's really a caricature of unbridled ambition and greed. And the wife tries everything. She's absolutely desperate to break into society. And she winds up alienating a lot of people. It's really interesting. And seen through the eyes of a young girl who left the farm, a poor girl, and she went to live with the rich sisters, uh, distant relatives, because her father's died. So it's really an interesting picture of um, the beginnings of the business system in America and the moguls. So tell me about help then. That's the next one you've got on your list here. And I don't, I don't think I'm ready for this one. Well, when you watch it, you'll, you will be, you'll write, you'll love what the frontline workers are doing even more. Um, Jodie Comer from Killing Eve plays a PSW in Liverpool. It's her first day on the job. She goes in, um, sort of learns her way around a little bit. And then the pandemic strikes. And one by one, the staff and the residents start being, start succumbing to the disease. So it's up to her in the end. Her, she's with maybe two other people in the nursing home running everything. And she steps up to the plate. She's so brave. She's so compassionate. It just, it's thrilling. It's absolutely thrilling. So now that's on BritBox and I would highly recommend it. A lot of big 
uh, British stars like Stephen Graham, who honestly, I've been trying to get an interview with him for years. It's very tough. And Kathy Tyson and Leslie Sharp, Sue Johnson and David Heyman, some terrific character actors. But Comer is outstanding. So highly recommended. All right. Uh, you liked Fraggle Rock. This surprised me. Candace, I didn't like Fraggle Rock. I love it. I totally missed it back in the day. So I called my nephew and he was such a huge fan. So I thought, well, I'm going to watch this thing. Oh, it's just so smart. It's for kids. It's for adults. And it's these Muppet-like characters who live underground. And it's, they help each other. It's a very positive spin on, on life and a very, um, based on decency and humor and fun and, and loving people. And it's just, there's something so special about it. Such intelligence. Uh, and I highly urge people to watch it, especially in these times. I was just going to say, don't we need more of that in our lives? Yeah. And the timing is perfect, isn't it? It's been gone for many, many years. So this is good. All right. What else do you got for us this week? All right. Tiff is now doing Gone All Digital and you can get a lot of Oscar uh, material on it. There's Mass, um, Belfast, if you haven't seen that yet, the Kenneth Brana story of his childhood growing up in Belfast during the Troubles. There's um, Canada's Oscar entry. It wasn't nominated in the end called Drunken Birds, which was quite an incredible sort of mystical nature-based uh, desperate love story about a Mexican immigrant and his girlfriend who, who is hiding out in, in Montreal from her drug cartel husband. Uh, so, you know, Tiff, Tiff's digital platform, it's on the website. So just enjoy the riches there because you're not going to a theater anytime soon. Well, I think between the snow and the virus, we're not going anywhere. So thank you for bringing uh, some more great entertainment for us this week. You've got all of these and more up at whatshesaidtalk.com. I have to ask you, Anne, we're heading into award season. Are you ready? Well, my org my, one of my organizations, the Toronto Film Critics Awards, uh, we, we, Toronto Film Critics Association, we gave out our awards this week. So you can find that on my um, Twitter, on my Facebook, and on Toronto Film Critics Association. Sort of big dominant winner was uh, Power of the Dog, Licorice Pizza. So interesting, interesting stuff. Thank you, Anne. As always, uh, you've brought us some good stuff. So have a great week. We'll see you next week. All righty. Bye, Candace. with Candace Sampson and What She Said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. If you haven't heard of my next guest yet, trust me when I say you're going to be seeing and hearing a lot from her this year. Lisa Baker recently produced and completed her first Canada-wide tour as a comic headliner after years of successfully touring as an opening act. She has recorded two albums in eight months during the pandemic, both of which are being played on SiriusXM. She is also busy on social media, which includes a TikTok following of 300,000 people that she's amassed in less than a year. And she's on track to film a television series this year, in addition to two more national tours. Lisa does all of this while keeping the laughs coming day after day for her devoted fans. She joins me now. Welcome to the show, Lisa. Thanks for having me. Reading off that laundry list of things that you're doing. Yeah. I mean, most people would lose their sense of humor with a to-do list that, that big. Uh, how do you maintain your sense of humor and find the funny in seemingly everything? It, well, and let me tell you, the last few months have been way challenging because I put that tour together very last minute and it ended up being very successful. Uh, but it's uh, sometimes it takes me a while to realize what I'm actually doing. So I, I like I'm I've never been medicated for ADHD and I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing or a bad thing. Um, sometimes it's a bad thing. But I've, I've just kind of been able to kind of have so many irons in the fire and kind of manage but I think for years as a single parent working like two and three jobs prepared me for this amount of 
Because if I'm not working to exhaustion, I just feel like I'm not being productive. And I certainly have downtime too, but I don't know. I think maybe just sometimes I feel like I've lost my mind and that's why I'm able to find the humor and stuff. Sometimes I'm like, no, I've just completely lost it. Now I can just laugh at everything. So I think that's probably what it is. People are listening are probably picking up on your accent. Uh, and I'm wondering, <laughs> I'm wondering how much of, of being from Newfoundland has contributed to your sense of humor. Because I've got to tell you, uh, people from Newfoundland are the funniest, sweetest people I've ever, I've ever met. So how much of that do you think contributes to your humor? Oh, well, I mean, I grew up, because uh, that was another thing, the reason I guess I can find it funny in a lot of things is I grew up in a family that, you know, we laughed at funerals, right? Um, our attitude was sort of like, well, if you, you know, crying's not going to fix it. Um, if you're going to exhibit any emotion, why not, why not show laughter, be, you know, have fun in the moment. But um, growing up in an environment like that, it was never, my sense of humor at like with my family was never discouraged the way it was like in the school system and stuff. So, uh, you know, growing up around 20 people definitely contributed to it. And then starting my career in Newfoundland, you know, your audience is as funny as you are. So you better bring your A game, right? Because they're sitting there watching a the show like, go away, show me, buddy, Jim, he's funnier in the shed after a few beers than this one, you know? So you got to make sure you're really bringing it. And then, of course, if you get hecklers in Newfoundland, they, like in Alberta, they say stuff like, go Oilers or whatever. But in Newfoundland, they actually have intelligent comebacks. So you need to be on your toes all the time, right? So you're also, though, I mean, the, the, the comedy industry is still largely male-dominated. So as a as a woman, I mean, I mean, there's been a lot of a lot of focus on this. As a woman, how are you? How do you manage in such a male dominated industry uh, to come out ahead? Uh, really, I match energies. So I've never been like I keep telling my partner that once I hit enough where I make it both our incomes, I need him to quit his job and manage my career because he's much more diplomatic than I am. And, you know, if anyone ever pushes back and says, well, we really need to speak to Lisa, he'll probably be like, trust me, you do not want to bring this to her because I just don't have patience for it anymore. But it's I mean, it's been I don't know. I'm so lucky that I did manage when I got on TikTok. I had no idea what I was doing. My daughter encouraged it. She's like 19. And so I did. And it, it worked out in my favor. I've been doing this for 16 years. Um, but I think it's just a matter of. Anytime someone said no to me or pushed back on me in a way that I felt like was, especially if it was based on my gender, I just felt like, okay, I need to work hard enough so that you can't ignore me. It gets to a point where, because it, they're business people too, right? So money is the almighty thing for them. So if I can get to a point where they know if they don't book me, they're just throwing money away, well then... That works to my advantage. But then I'm also, it puts me in a, in a position where I can now also kind of, and I'm saying this not as a jerk, but like I can make demands. Do you know what I mean? So I can say, well, I want things this way and I want right. things that way. And it's nothing crazy. But I've had it happen on this tour alone where I had X amount of sold out tour shows behind me, this demand in that city. And I had a club in Halifax tell me I have not yet proven myself as a comedian. And that, the, the, the man I'm speaking to knows me, knows me in the industry, knows what I've been doing. And just I felt like at that moment it was just a pissing contest. Like he was trying to big dog me and sort of gatekeep because he had that power. And I was like, mm, well, I'll just do a show somewhere else in your city. I'm not asking you for permission to do a show in your city. I'm ask, offering to cut you in. If you don't want to do that, just say I don't like money. I would have moved on long ago. Why don't you just open with that? <laughs> you know, because that was the thing. I was also giving back to the businesses wanna... doing this tour. I was booking as many locally owned businesses as I could and trying to help out any business that I knew would be struggling during the pandemic, as opposed to using like government funded facilities and stuff like arts and culture centers down east. I'd, I'd like to talk about your journey with TikTok a little bit, if we can, because it's sure. a very interesting space. I mean, I've been sort of just watching for the last year, but I had a, a video go viral about a week ago. And the level of misogyny and hateful comments that come in on stuff, it's, it's hard to deal with. So how, how do you deal with that? Because I know you get them. So I do. And it, I don't get them as much as I used to because I've learned to 99% uh, of the time I delete the comments and I block the user. And that's what I do because it's not just about 
it's not about my feelings. It's it's also about the people who are reading those comments or the people who they might be directing the comments to in my comment section uh, for no good reason. So I don't I don't like to uh, in any way encourage that. But I will take the ad one and I will reply. And I just do that because it's kind of it's nature of the beast when you're a comedian to kind of clap back. So it's just to me, I'm like, well, you just boosted my video. You put me on your own algorithm. And now you've given me an opportunity to create material. But um, the amount of it, when I, how I learned to deal with it was after a while of doing this, not, not even that long, people would send me messages or they would come to shows and they would hug me and say, hey, I, you got me through this pandemic. Like friends of mine, like that I've known <laughs> even were like, Lisa, like you helped me so much. And then what some of the messages I get were like just heartbreaking, you know, women who are going through breast cancer and you know, really serious things during a pandemic, their divorce, the loss of a loved one. And they're telling me how much I helped them and how much my videos helped them. So now when I get one of those nasty comments, I'm like, you know what? Um, my stuff isn't for you. I don't make this for you. This isn't your cup of tea. You are not obligated to consume the media that I produce. So I'm just going to delete it and move on because the people that I am doing this for greatly appreciate it. And I'm motivated by them, not you. I love that. But it took me a while to get there. Oh, I bet. Like, I, I honestly can't believe it. I wanted to go Jay and Silent Bob and, like, hunt them all down and knock on their doors. I don't know if you've seen that movie. It's like all the people commenting on the internet and they knock on their doors and, like, fight with them. Yeah, I would love to do that. They probably wouldn't be as gutsy in person. It'd be, like, some dude walking out, like, middle-aged, bald, you know, living in his mom's house. Guaranteed, that's what it is, Right. So, you know, somebody's listening to this, they want to get into, into, into comedy. Any advice for a woman listening who would like to break into the industry? Absolutely. My biggest piece of advice uh, would be to, you know, start reading everything down that you think is funny. And don't be concerned about whether, like, don't get it all in your head. Other people are going to think this is funny. You just have to try it. And you Google open mics in your city. Uh, you can find their Facebook groups. You go most in most scenes that I've been a part of or involved with in any way are incredibly supportive. Um, so you just kind of look for those people that run those mics and kind of buddy up with them and never date a comedian. <laughs> don't, don't. <laughs> All right. So if people want to find you, Lisa, where can they connect with you? Well, my um, my Twitter and my Instagram and my TikTok are all the same. It's at Lisa Baker Comedy. Facebook, it's Lisa Baker Comedian. So, and it, you don't have to be on TikTok if, uh, like, I take all of my videos from TikTok and I post them on Facebook and Instagram too. So, if people want to follow me there, they sure can. All right. Thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, we're going to have you back again another time. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. sun before the burn, the thunder before the lightning, and the breath before the brains. Have you ever felt this way? Pandemic stress has caused a surge in eating disorders, particularly amongst adolescents and teens. Parents, understandably, are scrambling to find ways to help. Leanne Philipson is a registered nutritionist, best-selling author, podcast, and radio host of Eat This with Leanne, a well-known speaker and mom of two gorgeous teenage girls. Her daughter, Hadley, has also struggled with an eating disorder, and Leanne has witnessed this. Thankfully, Leanne and her daughter are sharing their story to help others, and she joins me today to discuss. Welcome to the show, Leanne. Thanks so much for having me. So I imagine, and this is why I think it's so important that you share your story. I imagine as a nutritionist to somebody who has been around food your entire life, this must have thrown you for quite a loop. It's really interesting, actually, because a lot of people would think, oh, yeah, you know, she's a nutritionist. She focuses on food and then her daughter ends up with an, with an eating disorder. I think the power in what I do, what that offered me was recognizing that this is the direction that my daughter was going in. It was no surprise. I saw it coming. Um, in, apart from an eating disorder, my daughter's had some depression, some anxiety, like, you know, full on pandemic mental health challenges. And this was one aspect of her struggle. 
And as I witnessed and watched her starting to avoid food, starting to eat a little bit less, just how her manner manner was and how she kind of brought herself to the table even, um, it really allowed me to get on this quick. And I recall in January of 2021 saying to her after watching her eating go down and and knowing that she was losing weight, I pretty much mapped out the whole situation for her, knowing that this is the physical implication on your body. This is what's going to happen. You know, your heart rate's going to go down. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to the pediatrician and everything unfolded in that way. So I had, from my experience, the knowledge in which to actually take a step back and know that she needed help from professionals, from the doctors, from the people that needed to step in and and help to take care of her body. It's so important, though, that you are sharing this story because I think a lot of parents, you know, may not be as equipped to help or to recognize mm. what's going on. And also, as parents, we tend to internalize this and 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 carry this guilt uh, that we may oh, have done so something heavy. wrong, right? Yeah. So, yes. And I think a lot of people would say, well, you know, and I know <laughs> I've said to them, you know, it sucks to have a mom as a nutritionist because I'm the one who's going to keep telling you to eat the healthy stuff. And of course, I thought, you know, have I put too much pressure? Have I made sure that she focuses on the healthy things, which means, you know, just all the guilt things, all the guilt that we just go through and put on ourselves. But I absolutely had to separate myself from that. This experience was not about me. Well, first of all, I think it happened for me to be able to wake up and see the things that were going on external to this. But also this was her experience. And as soon as I was able to take myself back, take that step back, and then that just allowed her to to witness and to see what was going on. She actually wrote a really powerful blog that I've posted on SproutRight.com and so interesting when we went to the hospital after her pediatrician called and said her heart rate, like go pick her up and take her to sick kids right now, which is exactly what I did. And the first realization for her as she reports on what she wrote was when we were in the hospital and the doctor said, we are going to admit you for an eating disorder. It knocked her sideways. She did not see it. She did not understand that what that 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 is where she was at. So it was a huge realization for her. And at that point, I needed to give her space for her just to process it herself. And as parents, when we are worried, when we are the ones saying, you need to do this because I'm going to feel better, it doesn't allow them to kind of figure out what this is all about. So there's some power in a bit of separation and advocating for them and finding the right people to help them because it truthfully may not be us. And just as important as it is for you to get help for your children through something like this, it's important to get help for yourself. And you have an organization that you recommend. Can you tell us a little bit about that before we close out this interview? Yes, sashbear.org was a lifesaver. It was a a three-month program. It's a charity-based program. Anybody can sign up for it. And it's all about DBT or dialectic behavioral therapy. There's also some other issues with self-harm with Hadley. But really the process is, is in validation, is in radical acceptance, all the key things that Hadley was also learning in another program, I was learning at the same time. So then we could come together and I could support her in the best way that I knew how from everything that I had also learned. Incredible. I I love that you came with this advice because I think oftentimes we focus so much on helping the other person that we're not helping ourselves. And then in turn, that just creates Mm -hmm. this cycle where you can't help. (laughs) So thank you for sharing that. Um, You're obviously sharing about this and you continue uh, sharing great nutritional advice on SproutRight. So where can people connect with you, Leanne, and keep up with your story? Yep. SproutRight.com is probably the best place to go. I do talk about it on my podcast, Eat This with Leanne as well. And you'll find more about that on leannephillipson.com. Okay. Thank you so much for joining me today, Leanne. This was great. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. All these 
It is possible to eat healthy on a budget, even in today's climate of rising food costs and shrinking household incomes. By investing some time and strategic planning, you can make healthy and tasty meals at home for much less than you think. Denise Lalonde is a registered holistic nutritionist, strength and conditioning coach, and author of Dreaming Big, Being Bold. Denise knows all too well the pressure families are feeling at the checkout and joins me now to share some of her best tips for staying healthy on a budget. Welcome to What She Said, Denise. Thanks, Candice. It's a pleasure to be here. So I don't know about you, but I've certainly noticed at the checkout that my dollar is going not quite as far as it did last year, and uh, especially the cost of fresh fruits and vegetables. So do you have any tips for people when it comes to um, getting those, those vegetables and fruits in our lives still, but at a budget price? Absolutely. I'm noticing the same thing. And I would also add to that the rising cost of meat. Um, but starting with produce, um, I guess maybe just back it up. So you had mentioned that you can certainly save a bit of money by investing some time. So proper planning before you even get to the grocery store is going to set you up for a more successful uh, grocery shopping trip and uh, will ultimately result in some savings as well. So determining what your budget is, first of all, and sticking to that, um, creating meal plans. And you can base your meal plans based on what's already in the pantry. So making use of some of those things you already have on hand and then getting to know food prices so that you know if it is actually a good deal or not. Seeking out sales. So looking for coupons, um, downloading apps where you can compare prices and most stores will price match. And then be flexible uh, with your grocery list as well. So once you get to the grocery store with your grocery list, thinking about swapping out ingredients based on what's on sale when you get to the store, or if you didn't know the price before you got there and you get to the store and realize that maybe those ingredients are a bit too much, think about some alternate options. Um, some good options to replace fresh fruit and vegetables is frozen fruit and vegetables. Uh, fish is also very expensive and the price is often unpredictable, fluctuating all the time. So canned fish, frozen fish make good substitutes. And then just swapping out different meats, um, you know, just being more flexible. I used to meal plan based on sort of what I was in the mood for. Now I meal plan based on what's on sale in the flyers. And my, my favorite app is the Flip app. I don't know if you use that, but if I need something like coffee, I enter it in the app and it pulls up everywhere that's on, it's on sale. Uh, which is helping a lot right now. Um, what about um, alternatives for protein? So uh, plant-based proteins, um, thinking about beans, lentils, uh, grains, and then, you know, tofu, soy. Um, there's lots of different um, options for, uh, you know, different proteins for sure. Uh, even protein powders. Um, if you're just trying to increase your protein intake and you can't really do that effectively through whole foods, um, you know, smoothies are a great way to uh, make use of those frozen fruits and vegetables and then also increase your protein intake. The price of a butter is at $8 a pound now. That makes me literally cringe. <laughs> so any suggestions for uh, things when you're, that you're cooking your food in, uh, maybe not butter? Um, yeah, so you can certainly replace butter um, in certain recipes with some oils. Um, you can also use mayonnaise in place of butter or any anything really that's going to have a fat content, depending on what you're using the butter for. And so and when it comes to prepping meals, do you um, suggest people do that? you know, at the beginning of the week, prep their meals or or do you just follow like a, a simple meal plan through the week and, and work that way? Uh, well, it depends on how creative you are and how adventurous you are in the kitchen. So um, if you're working backwards and you're just bringing home things that were on sale and then creating meals from that, or if you're following a meal plan, uh, my recommendation is always to do what I call a shop, chop and cook day. So that's allocating one day of the week where you're going to do some food prep, you're going to do some batch cooking, um, maybe cut up fruits and vegetables in advance, you know, get some of the um, the foundations of some of those meals already prepared just to save time. Um, and, and it's also going to ultimately result in saving money because you're going to be 
preparing the meals from your plan if you've done some of that prep work in, in advance. Absolutely. You're far more likely to go grab something that's already ready for you in the fridge instead of calling in the order out or the Uber Eats. Um, Denise, you are always sharing great information with people. So where can people connect with you uh, to stay on top of all the tips you share? On Instagram at Denise M. Lalonde. On Facebook, I'm uh, my website is denisellalonde.com. Okay. And I'm also on Twitter at Denise M. Lalonde. Okay. Wonderful. Thanks so much for joining me uh, this week, Denise. We'll have you back again soon. Thanks for having me, Candace. That's it for What She Said for this week. Stay up to date with our newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidtalk.com. And be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify to re-listen to this episode and find full details for all of today's guests. I'll be back next week with more What She Said on 105.9 The Region. Previous episodes of What She Said on 1059theregion.com. I'm Sarah Burke, and I host the Women in Media podcast, where I'm exploring the challenges women face in the media spotlight and celebrating our triumphs. My guests come from radio, TV, news, and sports, and we'll cover topics like leadership, diversity, stereotypes, and more. Most of all, I'm looking to build a community through a space where we can discuss anything. The Women in Media podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at womeninmedia.ca. What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's take this outside. A new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance, and everyday life. Let's Take This Outside, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at letstakethisoutside.ca. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.